For the past few weeks on Sunday evening, I have been delivering a series of lessons on squandering the scepter, talking about the rulership of Saul, David, and Lord willing this morning, Solomon. Tonight is our uh, question and answer night, so I move to tonight's lesson to this morning. The ruling scepter was something that could have been a great benefit to God's people. For just a moment, I'd like for you to imagine with me what occurred at the end of the period of the judges. Samuel was the last of the judges. He evidently was intent on his sons being the judges after him. However, they didn't possess his character. They were men of a baser character. And the children of Israel looked at Samuel and said, We don't want your sons to be our leaders. We want a king like the nations round about us. And for that reason, Samuel carried it to God. And God said, Samuel, they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me that I should not rule over them. God said, there's going to be kings, but I want you to tell the children of Israel what to expect from them. And he did. And God chose Saul, the son of Kish, to be the first of the kings. He, along with David and Solomon, had the potential, had the benefit of being great men with cap- capability of being great rulers. Each of them had some degree of squandering of the opportunity to lead God's people. You think about Saul, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders taller than any others. That means that he was a man of great physical prowess. He had the strength, the ability to lead God's people. You think about David, that shepherd, who knew how to manage a flock. And like God's people, he could be able to look at them and manage them. And even Solomon. They had the great capacity to do so, but each of them squandered the opportunity that God gave them. Can sin allow us to squander our ability to lead in our homes, to lead in the church? Because we allow sin to invade who we are and cause us to not be what God would want us to be. Each of these kings had great potential. Solomon himself wrote in chapter 21 and verse 20, there's a desirable treasure and all in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Given great opportunity, they chose to squander it. Well, I've titled this lesson, The Stupidity of Solomon, and I know that some of you mothers are cringing when I use that term. Many of us were taught when you were young, you don't call somebody stupid. But I will tell you that if you study the background of that word, its etymology goes back to a word which means to be astounded, to be amazed. And let me tell you, has there ever been anyone wiser than Solomon outside of our Lord and yet acted so foolishly? Here's a man who had knowledge and ability, but he didn't use it. So... What we're going to do is what we've done in the previous lessons. We're going to talk about the potential of Solomon. 
Then we're going to talk about the pitfalls that he faced, four of them. And then finally, some parallels. As you and I look at our own lives and say, does this have some sort of a parallel in my own life? Let's talk about the potential of Solomon. If you think about the sons of David, there were at least 18, perhaps 19 sons. But many of those sons were far from being what they ought to have been. You remember Amnon raped his sister and was killed by the other brother, Absalom. Absalom was the king who took over uh, David and pushed him out of the kingdom, only himself to die. And then you think about all the other sons and you get down to Solomon and he's the good son. He's the spiritual son. We read in 1 Kings chapter 1, 5, and 6, And Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time, saying, Why have you done so? He also was very good-looking, and his mother had borne him after Absalom. Remember, Absalom was a very handsome man, and here you have... Adonijah is also a very strikingly good-looking young man, and he's going to take over. But that's not Solomon. Solomon was the one who was supposed to rule. But the thing that amazes me, as the passage was read to us just a few moments ago, is that God blessed Solomon exceedingly. To appreciate this, you have to look at the description that is found in Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1. Now Solomon the son of David was strengthened in his kingdom and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. You see, you began with the reign of Solomon and perhaps there was no king better prepared to rule than was he. He had seen before him the ability of Saul and how he had squandered it. He saw before him his father David and how he had squandered it. God has blessed this man and he has the talent and the ability. You go to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verses 5 through 13 and you begin to appreciate why Solomon had this wisdom. It says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have sown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart, and with you, and you have continued with this great kindness for him, and you've given to his son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Solomon said, you've given me the privilege now, the potential but then he reflects and he says, I'm but a little child. The humility of Solomon in the beginning is, I don't deserve this great blessing that you have given me. But then he asks from God the ability to rule his people well. He said, there's too numerous to be numbered and counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. You think about that for a moment. Solomon says, I want the ability to know how to decide what's right and what's wrong. 
And it pleased the Lord. Verse 10. But you move into verses 11 through 13. And God said, because you asked for this, you've not asked for long life, for great riches, the life of your enemies. He said, I'm going to give you all those other things. I'm going to be with you and there's not going to be another king like you in your days. Solomon, you are a blessed individual. But then you step back and you realize not only was he with him, he gave him a great understanding heart in ruling, but God gave Solomon a tremendous amount of knowledge in all sorts of areas. You know, we would say he's smart in a lot of things. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 and following, he gave him exceeding great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. His wisdom excelled that of those of the men of the east and of Egypt. And then it said in verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. 3,000 proverbs, wise sayings. But then you get to verses 33 and 34. And he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and of fish. Botany and zoology was a part of Solomon's understanding. He had greater knowledge and understanding. So if you wanted to carry on a conversation with Solomon on any subject, God had given him wisdom. But it's not just that. As a ruler, he had happy and prosperous subjects. You know, when you start thinking about people being happy, when you go to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2, Solomon made it clear. He says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when it's the wicked, he said, the people groan. The people are happy. Notice what chapter 10, verses 4 through 8 says, and I'm just going to concentrate on the latter part of verse 8. Happy are your men, happy are those who are your servants, who continually stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. You think of all those who are your servants. Everybody is happy and appreciative. But when you get to verses 26 and 27... Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and he made cedar trees abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Now I want you to think about, about that for just a minute. Whenever I think about he made silver like stones. I think about visiting the Bible lands. And as you walk on that land, there is just stone after stone after stone. And that's the way silver became. The people were prosperous. They were happy. If you wanted to be a ruler of a people, wouldn't you want your subjects to be happy and to be prosperous? But you begin in chapter 4 and you go following Solomon was very organized. He had 12 governors. Each of them had various responsibilities. The people were organized socially, militarily. He had his chariot cities. In other words, he had military installations strategically located all around the country. 
Solomon was an incredibly wise man in so many ways. In chapters 5 through 7, he begins an aggressive building program. He begins building up the city of Jerusalem. He builds a temple. He builds a palace for himself. As you look at the life of Solomon, what king had a greater potential than he did? But Solomon faced some pitfalls. When we studied Saul and when we studied David, we looked at seven pitfalls for each one of them. We're only going to look at four for Solomon. The Bible doesn't spend as much time talking about all the different areas where Solomon failed, but those where he failed were so terrible. We're going to talk about his being unable to manage the blessings that God had given him. We're going to talk about his temptation of women and power or power. We'll have to describe that in just a minute. We're going to talk about how he mismanaged marriage and then finally how he failed to take his own inspired advice. Let's, let's begin by talking about how he was unable to manage his blessings. A few months ago, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes again. And when you get to chapter 2, Solomon describes the blessings that God had given him. You think about all the things that he describes and he says, I didn't hold back anything that was pleasurable to myself. He talked about in verse 3, he says, I tried to guide my heart with gratifying my flesh with wine. In other words, I had the best of the drink. He said in verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses and vineyards, gardens, fruit trees, we'd say orchards. He built himself pools of water from which to water these trees of the grove. He acquired male and female servants. He said, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And then verse 8, I gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasure of kings. As you start looking at Solomon's life, he had blessings that came in almost every direction. Then the latter part of verse 8, he said, I acquired male and female singers, musical instruments of all kinds. Solomon said, I had wealth, I had entertainment, I had all these blessings. Verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I could have anything I wanted. That's how blessed Solomon was. But Solomon realized that these things were not anything. When you start thinking about the blessings that a person is given, I think about what Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, first of all, Now godliness is contentment with great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. The blessings that God has given us we're only privileged to use them while we're here. You can't take anything with you. He said people who find themselves attracted to these blessings need to be careful because they have caused many people to be drowned in destruction and perdition. In fact, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You get to verse 17 of this same context... And he says, charge those who are rich in this present age 
that they be not high-minded nor have their hope set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Don't concentrate on the blessings. Concentrate on the God who gave you the blessings. You see, Solomon mismanaged them. In fact, when God gave him the blessings, he just used them for his own gratification. Poor Solomon gave in to that first pitfall. The second thing was is that he was tempted by women or power or power and women. You say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. And you look at verse 1 and it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. The question is, why would he make a treaty with Pharaoh? And why would he marry his daughter? The making of the treaty was certainly something that he wanted to do to bring about peace in his kingdom, but also to expand his kingdom. Solomon had a huge area that he was king over, but that wasn't enough. So he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Get to chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now listen to verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. He had a 1,000 women that he went into. If he went to a different one every night, it would take him over three years. Solomon married these women, many of them, to solidify treaties with them. That's why he listed the nations earlier. But Solomon then became enamored with the women. It says he clung to these in love. Now what did that do? Verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was his father David. And for Solomon went to the Ashereth of the goddess of the Sidonians and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not truly full of the Lord as his father David. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. You see, the problem is, is that Solomon is, for each one of these wives, he is enamored by them to the degree that he's willing to give up. You know, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. And there's where God said to the children of Israel, you don't make marriages with these foreign nations. Solomon didn't get a pass. It wasn't, well, because you're the king, you can do this. No, the king is bound by the law of God just like everyone else. 
And when you get to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verse 26, and the people are doing the same thing then, here's what Nehemiah says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, these pagan women caused him even to sin. Should we then hear of all your doing this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? You look and you see Solomon made the mistake. Don't follow and make the same mistake. Which leads me to the third of his pitfalls, and that is mismanaged marriage. When you step back and you think about what Solomon wrote by inspiration, he said in chapter 18 and verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 14, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Chapter 31, verse 10, he said, who can find a virtuous wife for her price is far above rubies? And you get down to verse 28, her husband rises and calls her blessed, her children also. Many daughters have done excellent, but you excel them all. Grace is deceitful, charm is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Oh, Solomon says, you get a wife, a good wife, a faithful wife, a godly wife, he said, you've got a great thing. But yet, a person can allow themselves to be drawn away from the Lord by their spouse. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 and 33, the intermarrying that he talks about of those who are Christians. And he says, I don't want you to be with care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, but how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Solomon said when you, or excuse me, Paul said when you get married, you have some obligations. But you have to be careful about those women. Because just like anybody else, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. You want to ask the question about Solomon's marriages? Had he chosen a woman of the Lord like he was writing a person should do, then he could have been a blessed man and had a marriage like God intended. Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Then very quickly, he failed to take his own inspired advice. When you talk about Scripture being inspired... That means that it's literally from God, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We learn from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, no scriptures of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Solomon was inspired by God to speak and to write. But he didn't take his own advice. 
James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Solomon couldn't say, I don't know the right way to go. He does know the right way to go. He just doesn't do it. Like Jesus said to those people in John 9, 41, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Solomon couldn't say, I don't see it. Solomon understood what he was doing. Now, for just a few minutes before we extend the invitation, I want to talk about some parallels in our own lives. Blessings can become a curse if we don't manage them properly. It could be wealth. It could be education. It could be fame. Even beauty. You remember Sarah? How beautiful she was? And how we're going to talk about that tonight, about Sarah's and Abraham's deception. Genesis chapter 12 and 20. You think about how each of these blessings, if you don't manage them properly. The thing is, is that if you look at Solomon, his blessings managed him. We have to look and make sure that we're taking what God has given us and are using it the right way. Number two, marriage is honorable, but it should be entered into wisely. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Young men, young women, when you choose someone to marry, make sure that you're choosing somebody whose love for the Lord and whose desire to be saved is the same as your own. Should you choose to otherwise, you may find yourself like Solomon, being drawn away from the Lord. Number three, wisdom is no good unless a person uses it. Unless a person is willing to do what he knows he should do. Imagine here's a person who's a financial planner, and they come to you and they say, now if you want to be able to retire comfortably, you need to save 10 to 15% of your annual earnings. And then you look at them and say, well, how much are you saving? Well, I'm not saving any. Well, then you really are not being wise yourself. Here's a serious concern. Solomon made such poor choices that it not only affected him, but it affected his descendants after him. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Then he goes on to explain, I'm not going to do it in your days because of David, but I'm going to do it in the days of your son. Do you realize the choices that you and I make, like Solomon, you choose maybe to do something wrong? It doesn't just affect you. It affects your children. And sometimes your grandchildren. That's certainly the case in Solomon's situation. I don't know. I, I have a hope. 
that maybe Solomon wised up in his old age. We read in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 13, Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and a foolish king who will be admonished no more. Was he writing about himself? Was he saying, when I was young and I was poor in spirit at least, was it not better than now to be an old foolish king that you can't tell him anything? Or Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobles and your prince feasts at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Maybe Solomon looked and said, you know, I, I've allowed myself to be motivated by wrong things and do the wrong things at the wrong time. And then chapter 12. Verse 1, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come or the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon says if you don't choose while you're young to do what's right, you may find yourself old and no longer want to. Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Did Solomon choose that or not choose that? I have a hope that he did, but whether he did or not, the lessons remain the same. He had such promise, but he squandered it by failing to be wise. The wisest of men beside our Lord lived such a foolish life. And thus we ask the question, was he really that wise? You remember what the Lord said in his great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7? Verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man. He talks about, though, that the man who does not do them, he likens to a foolish man. Are you wise enough this morning to do God's will? We're going to sing the invitation song, Is Your Heart Right With God? And you know whether it is or not. If you're not a Christian, why not come this morning? Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Because you've repented, because you've believed and confessed that Jesus is the Christ, be added to the Lord's church and live a godly life. Be blessed. If you're one of God's children, you need to come back home. You need to have the prayers of the church. We'll pray with you. Would you come as together we stand and sing?